just just in case any of you think uh, just just to preclude anything think that I'm I'm winking at somebody inappropriately I've got my grandkids over here today so I, I was winking at my grandkids so Well, we got to get them to move here. Sometimes. <laughs> Open God's words with me today, if you would, to the book of Acts. We're in Acts chapter 13. Last week we, we began our introduction in, in uh, chapter 13. We saw that the church in Antioch had teachers and prophets and that they were also a very diverse con- congregation. We, we had um, Barnabas, we know us from the island of Cyprus. If you can go ahead and... Okay, this is the island of Cyprus here. And that's where Barnabas was from. We had Simeon, who is from Africa, assumed to be a black man. Uh, we had, um, I'm not going to remember his name right now, one was from Cyrene. Get back to my list so I make sure I get it right. Uh, Lucius was from Cyrene. Uh, Menaean, I didn't get too many Enonins on there this week. Uh, Menaean was from the Antioch area. He was a, a, probably a half-brother, maybe a foster brother to Herod uh, Agrippa. And, and we know that those guys were real nice guys. And you wanted to be good friends with them so they didn't kill you. And then we had Saul from Tarsus just up here. here here's our Antioch where the church is being, was founded in and where Christians were first called Christians. Tarsus was right over here. Where, where Paul was from today, and I'm just going to point out, since I'm at the map right now, we, we know that they go, they started last week at the uh, Salamis, and they worked their way across the island to Paphos. We remember it was Paul and Barnabas that were set aside by the Holy Spirit. They have John Mark with them. Uh, John Mark was Barnabas's nephew, okay? Um, Barnabas's sister was Mary, the one that had the large... Uh, the large house in, in Jerusalem that they used for gathering places. And then they're going to they're gonna sail from Paphos up here, and they're going to land at Atelia. And then they're going to walk to Perga, and from Perga, and something's going to happen to Perga, but then they're going to walk up to this Antioch. Don't get these two Antiochs confused. This Antioch was the Antioch that the, the church, the, the Gentile church was founded and we're kind of the base of operations for Paul's missionary journeys. But this Antioch is Antioch of Pisidia, and it's about 100 miles across the, the um, mountains here. Horse, um, are they horse mountains? From Perga to Antioch, and that's, and that's where we're headed today, okay? Uh, let's see. What was the church doing last week? We looked, the church was, they were praising God, they were praying, and they were fasting. And while they were doing that, and we talked about it's, it's easier to change directions of a, of a ship that's moving or a car that's moving, okay? They, they were about the business of the work of the Lord. 
And while they were praying and while they were fasting and while they were praising God, the Holy Spirit moved and he said, set me aside Barnabas and Saul for the ministry. I want them to go and tell the Gentiles of Jesus. And we're looking at verse chapter 13, verse 2 for that. When they'd fasted and prayed, the church sent them away. But who did they know how or who to send away? Because the Holy Spirit had done the work and set them aside. So then they went down to Seleucia. They sailed over to Cyprus, uh, began at Salamis. And by the time they got to the west end of the island at uh, Paphos, remember there was a fellow that was, he called himself Bar-Jesus. His real name was Elymas. So make sure I get that right. Yep, his real name was Elymas. He called himself the son of Jesus because he wanted to, he, he was trying to get rich off of people thinking that he could perform miracles for them and do great works for them. And, and Paul calls him out. And the power of the Holy Spirit, as we, as we quickly ended last week, verse 10, 11, and 12, Paul discerned who he really was. In verse 10 and verse 11, he, uh, Paul relied on the power of the Holy Spirit, and, and he basically, he said, you're going to be blind. And he was blind for a while, Elymas was. But Paul called him play, to play on what he was calling himself the son of Jesus. Paul called him the son of the devil. Because he was not only not believing in Jesus, but he was trying to keep the governor from knowing Jesus. He was doing everything within his power to keep the gospel of Christ from spreading. And so that's why Paul called him son of the devil. And at that point, that's where, in, in, in Paphos here, is where Saul took on his Roman name, Paul, and, and that's why we refer to him from, as Paul from now on. But then in verse 12, Paul taught in the power of the Holy Spirit. And the, the proconsul, the governor, Sergius Paulus, responded to the gospel of Jesus Christ and accepted Christ as the Savior. And we get to verse 13, where we pick up today. Now Paul and his companions put out to sea from Paphos. They came to Perga and Pamphylia, and John left them and returned to Jerusalem. Okay, we kind of showed you in the map where was what, but at the end of the verse it talks that John left them and returned to Jerusalem. Why did John leave them? Well, there's a lot of speculation, and we'll, we'll look at a couple of verses that rule out some of that mess. Um, but some say, well, um, he was homesick. He, he liked mommy's big house in Jerusalem. He'd just been on the island with relatives because we know that that's where Barnabas came because back in chapter five, or end of chapter 4, Barnabas had sold some property and laid the money at the disciples' feet right before Ananias and Sapphira played their little game that didn't end well for him. Um, but Barnabas and his family, uh, Cyprus was home. And so as they were crisscrossing across the island, no doubt John Mark had opportunity to run into some cousins, some aunts and uncles, and, and it was nice uh, having familiar people there to, to know and to visit with. Well, now that they've crossed back to, the, to Asia Minor and they got a 100-mile trek across the mountains ahead of them, he's like, hmm, hmm, mom's, mom's house in Jerusalem sounds nice about right now. And there aren't going to be any of my cousins and aunts and uncles in this territory. Well, that, that might have been part of it. Um, he might have been homesick. He might have been scared of, of the travel. Um, let's see, he, he may have been a little irritated because up to this point it's always been Barnabas and Paul. 
And if you look at this verse, now it's Paul and his companions. His, his uncle, Barnabas, has been usurped as the leader or the head of the group. So, so maybe that kind of irked John Mark a little bit, got under his skin that his uncle wasn't any longer the, the leader of the crew. Um, he, he could have uh, disagreed with Paul because Paul was going to the Gentiles. And, and if, if uh, John Mark had grown up in Jerusalem with, with his mother there, Mary, um, he, he was very familiar and comfortable with the, with the Jewish traditions and the Jewish um, hierarchy and, and everything about that. Now, going out to the Jews, he, he just, or excuse me, going out to the Gentiles, he was just not quite comfortable with that. Well, we're, we're not for sure. But there are a lot of different, if we turn quickly, if you would, to Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4, verses 13 through 15. But you know that it was because of a body illness, and this is Paul uh, speaking here. You know that it was because of a body illness that I preached the gospel to you the first time, and that which was a trial to you in my bodily condition you did not despise or loathe, but you received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus himself. Where then is that sense of blessing you had? For I bear you witness that, if possible, you would have plucked out our, your eyes and given them to me. So there's, there's the thought that Paul had some physical ailment with his eyes, that his eyesight was getting bad or, or that he was having difficulty seeing, and that these people loved him enough that, they know, that he knew that they would have given him their own eyes if they could have, so that he could have continued on in the ministry. So maybe, maybe there was, Paul had a physical ailment that, that John Mark said, it doesn't make any sense for this guy to go 100 miles across. Uh, the, and, and this, if you remember the, the story of the Good Samaritan in, in the, the area of Samaria where they traveled through and, and it was fraught with robbers. It wasn't a safe place to go for one person. Well, this 100-mile stretch uh, from... Come on, John. There we go. Yep, from Perga up to Antioch through the mountains... Was, was just known to be a, a whole trail full of bad things that could happen to you. There weren't a lot of Motel 6s or Holiday Inns along there, for one. There, there, there weren't too many, uh, you know, McDonald's or Big Boys, and, and it was going to be rough travel. And at the same time, there was also bandits and robbers. It was, it was going to be a tough trek. And, and to John Mark, maybe it didn't make any sense that Paul was going to Drag himself all there to take the gospel to who? The Gentiles? Are you kidding me? Why is he doing this? We don't know exactly why. Okay? We don't know exactly why. God doesn't tell us exactly why. So it, it can't be that big of a, a deal or that important. But a lot of people make a big deal out of it. So we'll address it and, and move on. But just before we leave it, uh, if you go back to Acts 15. We go to Acts chapter 15, verse 36. After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brethren in every city in which we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Barnabas was desirous of taking John, called Mark, along with them also. But Paul kept insisting that they should not take him along, who had deserted them in Pamphylia 
and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose such a sharp disagreement that they separated from one another, and Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. Maybe, maybe uh, Uncle Barnabas was just a little um, rose-colored glasses towards his nephew and didn't see what was really there, but it's quite obvious that Paul thought he would be a hindrance to the work. I, I point out again at the beginning of chapter 13, verse 2, that it was the Holy Spirit that set Paul at that time, Saul and Barnabas aside, John Mark was not set aside to the work, to the missionary work. He, he went along as a, as a companion and as a traveler, um, but he wasn't called to the work. So I think part, part of me thinks that Paul's a little harsh on him because he wasn't one that was set aside by the Holy Spirit to go and do the work. But since he was there, Paul obviously had strong feeling. And it's kind of fun we, when, our, when our kids were growing up. You know, there's the there's the the um, tendency that the the parents want to have their kids in everything. You know, they they run from from soccer practice to gymnastics to basketball, depending on the season. And you know, they just run from one thing to another. And we we had told our kids when they were younger that we weren't going to play that game. That they could pick one sport a year or one activity, be it gymnastics or ball or whatever, that they could do it was one thing a year, but if they started that thing, they were going to finish that thing, even if they didn't like it. They were going to go to every practice, they were going to be there, and they were going to stick to it. Now, if they played soccer this year and they absolutely hated it, we weren't going to make them play soccer the next year. They could pick something else. That was up to them. But once they started it, they were going to finish it. And I wonder if that isn't a little bit of Paul here. He, you know, even though, even though he wasn't one called out by the Holy Spirit directly for the missionary work, once you began that trek with us, finish what you start. And so I kind of get that. I kind of see Paul's, Paul's perspective. But there is hope, okay, 2 Timothy 4.11. 2 Timothy 4.11, Paul is, is concluding the, the second book. And he's saying, only Luke is with me. Pick up John Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for service. So somewhere along the line, John Mark matured, grew up a little bit, and, and Paul saw his usefulness. Paul knew that he could be of service and of help in the ministry. So what, what a couple of principles we gleaned from here real quick is, is uh, when, when you're in ministry... There, there can be personality conflicts. We're, we're not all the same, thank goodness. We are not all the same, and there will be differences. But the important thing is that we love one another, that we get past those differences, because remember, if we're, from Philippians 2, if we're going to have the mind of Christ, and we're going to be of one mind, it's of the mind of Christ. If you're of the mind of Christ, I'm of the mind of Christ, and you're of the mind of Christ, we can focus and concentrate on the same thing. Not my mind, not yours, not yours, but we will focus on the ministry of the work. Getting the word of Jesus Christ out to our family, to our neighbors, to those around us from Judea, Samaria, unto the uttermost parts of the earth in the U.P., you know, we, we talked about that before. You're in the UP. You, you have met that part of the Great Commission to the uttermost parts, okay? <laughs> the, 
The important thing is that Jesus Christ is our focus and the center. There will be difficulties, but we need to love one another. We need to work through them. And obviously, John Mark grew up somewhat to the point that he became useful to the ministry again. That he wasn't permanently set on a shelf and left there to, to just be ignored. But in Second Timothy there, Paul says, get him, bring him. We need him. We need him for, for, for whatever he brought to that trip from Antioch down to Cyprus and then back up to Perga. Paul saw that he had gifts that could be used. Okay, and that he and he just wasn't quite mature enough, wasn't ready to go on. So he went home. The important thing was he grew up and came back to serve the Lord. Another another thought there is that in the ministry you need to be ready for physical challenges. Now I, I don't think God is calling me to Turkey, in that I'm going to need to walk that hundred miles from Perga up to Antioch. But there, there are physical challenges. It can drain and strain on you and pull on you. And, and um, just because you're not the pastor doesn't mean that ministry can't have physical strains on you as well. You can, you can have, a, have a wonderful heart and, and not be able to catch your tail. You can't catch yourself coming or going. And that's not necessarily a good thing either. We always bring back in Psalm 46.10. Be still and know that I am God. And I'm, every time I say that to you guys, I'm preaching to myself because I don't do it often enough where I just sit. Because there's always something to do. But we've got to remember that in our lives that we need to not let the urgent things keep us from doing the important things. And one of the important things that we need to do is to be still and to listen to the Holy Spirit to listen to God breathing into our lives. We need to be able to hear what he has to say. Okay, that was the introduction in verse 13. Verse 14, going on from Perga, they arrived, and now we know that it's Paul and Barnabas. Going on from Perga, they arrived at Pisidian Antioch, And on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. And after the reading of the law and the prophets, the synagogue officials sent to them, saying, Brethren, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, say it. Flip over to Acts 17.2. When we introduced the book of of, uh, Acts, probably almost a year ago now, this is one of the verses I pointed out. And, and it was for the last part, not the first part, but the first part applies here. It says, according to Paul's custom, he went to meet them and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the scriptures. Now the emphasis there is that he reasoned from the scriptures. He didn't reason, reason with them from the textbook of Gamaliel or from any of the other rabbis or teachers at that time. Paul reasoned with them from the word of God. From the scriptures. Now they didn't have it all yet then, but he what they did have is what he used in in his I don't want to say arguments, but for lack of a better word in there, in his arguments or discussions with them. 
He went to the word of God, but as it was his custom for three Sabbaths, he reasoned, and they had done that in the synagogue. Okay? Back to chapter 13. So it was very natural, normal for them to go into the synagogue. They were Jews, and, and we found as they crossed the island of Cyprus that they would start in the synagogues, that that's where they would go to, to minister and start their work, and then they would branch out from there. Because in most synagogues, there were some Gentiles there that had, had become proselytes to, the, to Judaism and, and had become uh, followers of the law. And so when they would hear this this word in the synagogue from these missionaries they would take it home to their gentile families and friends and then they wanted to hear more so that that you you go with what you know but then you branch out from there and they would be invited into the to the gentiles homes to hear the word of god we're going to find that in a big way here and uh it's going to be next week but at the end of chapter 13 After reading the law and the prophets and the synagogue officials sent to them, saying, Brethren, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, say it. That's, that's like throwing a raw T-bone steak to a bulldog. Hey, pastor, teacher, if you've got anything to say, go ahead and say it. Well, of course he's got something to say. He is ready. He's ready to speak. He's ready to preach because he wants to tell them about the good news of Jesus Christ. So Paul stood up and motioning with his hand, he said, Men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. Now, it's not to make a distinction that the men of Israel were not fearing God. Okay? What that's that's distinguishing there is the Jews from the Gentiles. That's all that is. Okay? Not, not, not slamming the, the men of Israel as not being God-fearers. That, that's not the intent there. But the, the two groups of people, because he, he knows from his audience that, that, that there's Gentiles in the synagogue as well. So they went in on the Sabbath. They, they hear the, the, the law and the prophets, the, the reading of the Torah. And, and when given the opportunity, they're ready to get up and speak. But Paul understands his audience. He knows that he's speaking to some Jews as well as to some Gentiles. Verse 17, the God of this people Israel chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with an uplifted arm, he led them out from it. And for a period of about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. I love that way that's phrased. He put up with them and how, how, how often does God put up with us? And when he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, he distributed their land to an inheritance, all of which took about 450 years. So you got about 400 years in Egypt, you got 40 years in the wilderness, and then you got the first 10 years in the land while God is eradicating these seven nations. Verse 20, after these things, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet, and then they asked for a king. God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And after he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, concerning whom he also testified and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all of my will. From the offspring of this man, according to promise, God has brought to Israel a savior, Jesus. Now, what you need to understand, Paul's preaching this, in the synagogue, to the Jews and to the Gentiles, how many times, and I should have told you ahead of time, I should have had you count, 
because now that's all you're going to do the rest of the morning and not listen to the rest of what I say. How many, how many action verbs are in that passage of what God has done for his people? God took the initiative. God did these things for them. He chose our fathers. He made the people great. He led them out of Egypt. He put up with them. He destroyed seven nations. He distributed their land. He gave them judges. He gave them Saul. He removed Saul. He raised up David. And then he found David, the son of Jesse. And then in verse 23, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus. There's about 13 or 14 there of the action verbs that God did on their behalf. He, he, he isn't a God that created the world and said, ah, let it go. Some, some people believe that's what he did. Sorry. God's a little more active in our lives. And if you didn't think that when, when it says that he put up with them, that, that took some action, okay? That took some restraint on God's part to not do more what he wanted to do. How many times did he go to Moses and say, get out of the way, I'm going to wipe these people out? More than once. Many times Moses went on his knees before the Lord and said, Lord, hold your hand back. Don't wipe them out because what are the nations around going to say about you that you brought them out into the wilderness just to kill them? So Moses was was an effective leader and and interceded on behalf of the, the people of Israel with God. Otherwise, God may have wiped them out. But God is active in our lives. God wants to be more active if we will get out of the way and not just have him in the activity of just putting up with us. But being able to move and to work and to to accomplish his will in our lives. Now, he, he, and if, if this sounded just a little familiar, I don't know if you remember back to Peter's first sermon in Acts chapter 2, Stephen's sermon in Acts chapter 7. Very, very much very familiar in, in this style. And, and oh, by the way, you remember the Paul that used to be Saul? He was the one that guarded the coats of the people that were stoning Stephen. Saul was standing there and heard Stephen's message before he was martyred. So it shouldn't be any surprise that maybe just a little bit of that shows up here in his style and technique. But he first starts out by going and saying, this is what God has done for you. Remember, remember what God has done. He, he, he wants them to Get in, and we'll see it more to, in the rest of the message today and then next week. He, he, Paul, Paul wants them to understand that the God of the Old Testament is the same God who sent his son to die for them and who the New Testament focuses on. But as, as devoted as they were, and remember, what did we say? Jesus Christ fulfilled the Jesus Christ fulfilled the law and Jesus Christ fulfilled the temple. temple. Okay, And that's exactly what Paul is trying to show him here. And understand that the God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament who gave his son for you. And it's at the end of verse 23. From the offspring of this man, according to promise, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus. 
Isaiah chapter 7. Starting in verse 13, he said, uh, Listen now, O house of David, is it too slight a thing for you to try the patience of men that you will try the patience of my God as well? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. Then over to chapter 9, very familiar passages this time of the year. The people will walk, who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. Thou shalt multiply the nation, you will increase their gladness. They will be glad in your presence as with the gladness of harvest, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For you will break the yoke of their burden and the staff on their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor as, the, as at the battle of Midian. For every boot of the booted warrior in the battle tumult and cloak rolled in blood will be for burning fuel for the fire. For a child will be born to you, a son will be given to us. And the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it, to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and evermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. Isaiah 55 The word of God will accomplish what it sets out to do. Back to uh, Acts chapter 13, again, verse 23. From the offspring of this man, according to promise, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus. We're going to see in more next week than this week, but the, the, again, what we've already heard from, from Peter and Stephen in their messages um, it's it's not a it's not a, a verbatim, but we 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 understand that the, Paul wants them to see that Jesus came for them. Verses twenty four to twenty six, and we'll conclude. After John had proclaimed before his coming a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel, and while John was completing his course, he kept saying, "What do you suppose that I am?" I am not he, but behold, one is coming after me, the sandals whose feet I am not worthy to untie. Brethren, sons of Abraham's family, the Jews, and those among you who fear God, the Gentiles. Okay, back to, uh, to verse 17 there. No, six, yeah, 16. Brethren, sons of Abraham's family, and those among you who fear God, to us, the word, who is the word? Jesus, John 1, Jesus is the word. To us, the word of this salvation is sent out. Salvation, the Greek word there more directly translated, should say Savior. Jesus, the word of this salvation, the the Savior is the one to bring that salvation, is sent out. He, he, he reminds, and we'll see this next week more, but Paul's going to remind them of their unfaithfulness to the covenant, the Old Testament covenant, the Abrahamic covenant. And he's going to 
tell, remind them of their unfaithfulness to the Lord. And we're going to see, and, and you know, we always talk about Christmas, but we, Christmas is, lead, is the, the reason for it is to get to the cross, okay? And that next week, and then as we lead into communion, we're going to talk about the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, our Lord. He died, he was buried, he was raised, and he was seen. Remember that for for next week, okay? Just a little teaser for next week of what's to come. But that he had a purpose in carrying out his will. And Paul wants these men in Antioch, not the, the eastern one, but the western one over towards Pisidia. He wanted them to see, understand the history and understand their unfaithfulness, and yet through their unfaithfulness, God's faithfulness. God's faithfulness to us. As you go through this week, remember God's faithfulness to you. If you, if you, if you wonder if God wants to be active or do anything in your life, look at what he did again from verses 17 to 23. The action verbs that are mentioned there of what he did for the people of Israel. Those that love God, those that follow him. Let's pray. Father, time goes too quickly, but we thank you for your word. We thank you for the promises in it. We thank you for your action and activity in our lives. Father, sometimes we don't see it because we're not looking for it. Help us to know and to understand how much you love us. And in turn... Help us to love our neighbors that much that we want to share you with them. You are not something that we are to keep to ourselves. But, Father, we need to tell our neighbors, our family, our loved ones, those that we work with, that they may know the joy of Jesus, that they might have peace in their lives, that they might have victory in you, Father. That we might understand that this world is only temporary. And that soon we shall see you. Oh God, we look forward to that. What a glorious day that will be. Help us never to lose sight of that or you, Father. We thank you for your word in Jesus' name. Amen. I remember the sign-up sheet Friday.